I'm going to do this. I'm going to hire a Santa. I'm going to find a foot traffic area and I'm going to make like 10 grand in a day. No way. There's no way you're going to be able to pull this off. I bet you $500. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I can be what I want to. I put my all in it like my days off on the road. Let's travel. Never looking back. I think it should we be doing a like we right now we just roll into the conversation. Should we be doing a thing where it's like this is the My First Million podcast where we do X, Y, Z? Because like if you're a new person coming on, the podcast starts with you being like, we good? Okay. So I'm going to tell you a story. I bought a car and the car <laughs> has a transmission. You know what a transmission is? So check this out. And then you're like, you go into the thing. So should we be uh, educating people on what this is? Or you think that's too try hard and just fucking... Just, no, I think we should. Uh, we, we did the intros at the end for a while where we, like, we recorded them and put them in front. But how do you... I don't even know how to describe this podcast. When I meet someone and they ask me what I do for a living, I say, oh, I do this thing. I also host this podcast called My First Million. And I'm always embarrassed to say the name. But then what do you explain the podcast is? Yeah, I would say like, you know, for people who are, uh, they're kind of like business nerds or they're, they're idea junkies. So they're always, you know, scheming or wondering, you know, what's the business behind this? How much money does this make? How much money does this person have? Those types of questions that you're not allowed to say out loud. This is the place where we talk about those things out loud. That's kind of my, my off top of my head description. And so we brainstorm. If you want to, you know, if you want to sit here while we brainstorm business ideas, and break down the economics behind businesses that you've heard of or never heard of. Um, this is the podcast for you. Great. Well, there's or our the, intro. Or another way. Another way I'd put it is every other podcast you can listen to if you go into iTunes is going to be about the past or about the future, and we tell you something about the present right now. So, past is all interviews about shit you've done. The future is you know guessing about you know what the world's going to look like in 20, 20 years. And what we do is we talk about business opportunities that exist today that uh, that you should be looking either building, investing in, or just knowing about. But it's not just business. For example, I got messages. Sometimes we talk about health related stuff, or we just talk about like things we're doing with our life. And I got messages saying people love it. For example, right now I'm staying at my friend's house in Hawaii, and I posted a video on my Twitter. Did you see that video? Looks sick. I saw okay, it, it looks sick. But there's something interesting about this house and what my friend does that I think is amazing. So he only has one... It's a really big living room. He's got a huge living room. He's got a very small couch. The rest, he's got pads, like pillows on the floor. And it's people... Right. It's floor sitting. Like It's like a floor yes. sitting scheme or like a layout. And I love it. Have you ever sat like been to a house where people like do, sit on the floor? So my sister did this unintentionally. So my sister, I, I think, I think I've mentioned. I should probably talk about her businesses because they're pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but she basically does a, a, something called in-home, uh, like in-home uh, daycare or preschool. So she yeah. she does both. And so like she took she took over my apartment. So my parents were like, "Hey, my parents had a house, and attached to the house was a two bedroom condo." And I was living in that right when I moved to San Francisco. I, I lived in that that place uh, like for like a year, and. Then I got notice I was getting evicted by my parents. I was like, what? What's going on? It's like, oh, yeah, your sister needs the, the, the space. She's starting a business in here. So, like, you know, you got to get the fuck out. And, like, she's going to take over this space. So, where we had the living room, she basically ran a, a preschool out of that space. And, uh, and, you, and by, by the way, way, you told me the numbers. It was a really good business. 
Oh, it's still a great business. So she has three of these now. Uh, they're all, they're all different. So she's got an outdoor. So it's even better, right? So for, so the first genius move was instead of going and renting a commercial space, she's like, oh, I'll just use like an in. I'll, I'll do in home. And okay, why is that good? Well, you're already paying the mortgage. And what happens is from you know eight a.m. to four p.m. during the day, a part of your home will be used for your preschool, your daycare. And now if you're a student, so you would think, okay. Yeah, that seems pretty small. Like you got what, 10 kids in there? No, no big deal. Well, every kid pays $3,000. So that's 30 grand a month of income coming in. Now, uh, you have teachers. So you got maybe three teachers uh, there. It ends up being about 40, 40%, I want to say, profit. Now, I might be wrong off the top wow. of my head, but it's about 40% profit. There's another kind of hidden benefit, which is you can write off pretty much everything about your house and your in-home life because your business runs out of your home. So you basically pay no taxes. Uh, or sorry, your all your life expenses are also business expenses in a way uh, because that couch that you got or that mat, that play mat you bought, that's all for the school, right? All the toys you bought that your kids also get to play with, they're for the school. You're, and she also sent her kids to the school. So her own, what she would normally be paying for daycare, now she was getting you know for free because she had her own school. And so, and then she started, she created an even better one, which was an outdoor only program. So what's better than using your in-home for, for, for your space? No space at all. Use the public parks. And this was great because a whole bunch of parents didn't want their kids indoors all day and like sitting, you know, kind of like sitting inside. Well, you're going to do that at home anyways. Why don't you get out there like a good kid and go play, go, go play with nature. And so she created nature kids, which is this program in San Francisco. And it's actually awesome. It has like the highest reviews. And there's, I went to the class and basically all the other parents were there. And I was just kind of talking to the parents. It's like, oh yeah, this guy, he started a uh, Kiva. This guy is ex PayPal. This guy is, th- it's like all these like billionaires of San Francisco, basically sending their kids to this outdoor program. So, wait, so you have three of them now? So she has, yeah, she has three total uh, programs. So this could be like a, like a seven figure a year business. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So it is, it is that. And, and so, and so she has like teachers who, 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 you know, run the day to day. She's on walkie talkie with them, like doing like throughout the day. And she has like nest cameras in the place. So she can be like, uh, like, Hey, you know, like, you know, whatever she can keep an eye on it, but she's not day to day involved anymore, which is great. At the beginning, it was her and my mom was like making the food for the kids, like making tacos and shit. And like now it's all like, you know, all done, done much and, better. And, and they're home. They're, they're, they're floor sitters. So, okay. Yeah. So back to the floor city thing. Sorry. So because of that, whenever I would go to my sister's place, um, her living room, there was no furniture. There was no TV. There was no nothing like a normal living room would have. She had done like what you did with your home gym. She had just turned the whole floor into play mats and even better than just the floor sitting. Cause it's just play mats. And then like uh, all the walls had like kind of like kids games and decals and stuff like that. But then she had these like little swings for kids. Like, you know, like a rope swing, like yeah. Tarzan just like hanging from the middle of the room. So like things that would occupy the kids. But then when I would go hang out there, I'm floor sitting. I'm just like stretching while we're hanging out, it's which the I would best. never otherwise That's exactly do. what I'm doing. So, so I was getting so fucking limber, just like hanging out with my sister. Cause why, why wouldn't I just be stretching and rolling and just getting done on my body a little bit. And then there's a swing there. So now I'm kind of like practicing rope climbs, like a fireman and shit. And I was like, dude, this is like, I don't know what, like it's like an ergonomic lifestyle. It's like, you know, there's this, whole my lifestyle just changed into this like mobile tarzan 
you know, one with nature and one with my body. Dude, that's exactly what I'm saying. Every time I'm here, so he's got this like hammock swing coming down from the ceiling. And so you have to like sit in a particular way where you're stretching. And then he's got like these cushions that are only like eight inches Medi- above, above the ground. Yeah. yeah. And you just sit there and it takes a minute to get used to it. It is so much better than sitting on a couch. It's so, so much, much better. better. It's the best. I watched this YouTube video recently and this guy had this whole like theory. It's like, it kind of like a TED talk. This guy's got this video and it's all about how like sitting is like crushing us. And basically, his whole thing is basically that you should stand most of the time and you should stand in a very particular way where you like squeeze your butt. And so it's like your hips are directly underneath you. And he's got this whole talk and he like looks at these people who don't sit in normal 90 degree chairs and he shows like what their butt looks like. And it's like the whatever. It's like the, the whole point is and he like has all these visuals. Anyway, I've been floor sitting and it is awesome. I'm 100% going to stick with this or at least I'm going to try to. Yeah, it's a total hack. I should do that. Uh, like, I do love me some couch time, but I definitely want to have a room that's just pure mats. And then when I hang out there, work there, just roll around there, it's just like a different vibe. And with kids, it's perfect because that's what they naturally want anyways. And so I'm just going to do that with my giant like playroom. Do you want to talk about um, Ozzy? This is yeah, amazing. Okay. I got a bunch of topics. I'm going to save half of them for next time, but we'll do half today. Um, Ozzy, okay, this so- is an amazing, amazing story. The story came out about Aussie media. And if you missed it, I'm going to give you the rundown. And then I want, Sam, I want you to react. Yeah, I know all about it. Okay, so here's what I know. And you fill in the gaps. Okay, so I heard about this because uh, the story breaks in the New York Times. And they basically say, they talk about Aussie media, a company that I never really heard of. Most people have no idea what it is. Red flag number one. So they go, they were, it's a company that's raised $150 million. And they were on this call with Goldman Sachs. And Goldman Sachs is ready to invest $40 million into the company. And they're just sort of doing their final kind of like diligence slash get to know you calls. And they're one of the selling points that Ozzy was telling Go- Goldman Sachs about like how it's defensible and how we're like this next gen media company was they were like, our YouTube videos, which you see, you know, some of our YouTube videos get millions of views, which is good for news and media company. Um, it's, you know, YouTube loves us. The data shows that, you know, YouTube sees that, you know, Gen Z or millennials like love our content. So they're, they're big fans of our, of our content. We're going to be doing much more with YouTube. So, you know, your investment now, you're investing in this like next gen video company as well. And so they, they get on a call. They're like, why don't we do a call with us, the founders of Ozzy, Goldman, and uh, the executive over at YouTube who runs YouTube originals. And so they get on the call and they're on a conference call and they're waiting for the, the, the YouTube guy emails and says, Hey, I'm running a few minutes late. Sorry. And so they're on this video call and then the YouTube guy says, Hey guys, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I'm still stuck in traffic. Can't do video. Can we just switch to a, uh, a phone call conference call? Sorry for the inconvenience. And everyone's like, no problem. We switch over to the phone call and he calls in and he says, Hey, I'm so and so. Let's call him Jeff. I don't know what his name is. I'm Jeff from YouTube. Yeah. Ozzy is amazing. Our data shows that it just crushes other media companies. Uh, they're really innovative. We, we plan to feature them and do a whole lot more. It's so great. And the Goldman guys, they're like, wow, that sounds good. But, you know, they sort of noticed like his voice sounded a little funny, almost like it was like a like a voice changer. And they're like, ah, it's probably nothing. But, you know, like just in case, let's go ahead and just like double check in our diligence here. Let's just let's just email the guy from YouTube and just just make sure, you know, it's all all good. And they were like, oh, you know, he had emailed us from a Gmail, which is kind of weird, you know, like the official Jeff at gmail.com. Like, 
let's just email him. Let's just go to YouTube themselves and just email him directly. And so they email and that guy, of course, is like, what the hell? I've never heard of Aussie media. No, I was not on a phone call. What are you talking about? And so Goldman's like, what the fuck is going on? And so this basically was, and then they, 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 they go back to the company and the company's like, oh my God, yes, I, we're so sorry. A, mo- a lapse in judgment. We had, that was my co-founder on the call. You know, like we're embarrassed. Sorry. That was just a bad, bad decision. I don't know. I don't even know how they could with a straight face back out of that, but they, you know, they back out of it. And Goldman says, okay, look, we're not going to invest because obviously shady as fuck, but, uh, you know, we're not going to make a big deal out of it. So, you know, whatever. So they back out. And this, this company, if you look into Aussie, they had made some pretty big claims. So, so some other big claims. So 50 million monthly uniques. They said their email newsletter had 20 million monthly subscribers, which is like, you know, as somebody who That's had like a, the like, biggest thing ever. Yeah, twenty yeah, million. So like, It'd be unheard I, of. I think the public numbers. Morning Brew has said they had three million. I think you guys are right around that same number. So to to do you know ten times more than that would be like wow, that's pretty substantial. Like that's interesting. And uh, oh, you have fifty million uniques like on your website. Huh, when I go there, it looks like you have less than a million according to this F- data. And f- but, uh, f- fifty million monthly uniques is also like a top hundred or top. 200 website. I mean, it's, it's right. huge. So people start looking into it and they start looking into all their claims. So they claim they're like, we are Amazon Prime's first talk show. And then you go look into it and it's like they used, it wasn't like Amazon Prime commissioned and paid them for a talk show. They use something called like direct upload, which just lets anybody upload their thing into the library. And, uh, and then they claimed that they were the first. And then they were using Amazon's name and all their like kind of like billboards and ads saying it was Amazon's first. And Amazon sent them a cease and desist and was like, take our name off your shit. And, uh, and he's like, I stand by our claims, but you know, of course, we'll, we'll take your name off this. And, um, and then they claimed that they are the fastest growing talk show on YouTube. And then the journalist was like, so how do you know that? Because, you know, we talked to Social Blade. They measure this kind of thing. They said you're pretty like average. He's like, well, you know, we're the fastest growing premium talk show that's YouTube centric, like their own category they made up. And we looked and we couldn't find a faster growing one. And it's like, oh, so you looked and you couldn't find one. And so you said you are the, the best one. And then they look at, if you look at their YouTube videos, they'll have like a million views, but like less than a hundred comments. So, you know, a little fishy, uh, a little fishy, you know, what's going on here. And so, um, and by the way, they had like pretty legit investors. So Axel Springer, uh, Mark Lazary, who owns the Milwaukee Bucks, like Steve Jobs' wife, David Drummond, who's this like, you know, longtime Google exec. Uh, they had some pretty like legit investors. Still have pretty legit investors. And the funny thing is, after Goldman Sachs walked away and all this happened, they still raised they money. Still raised, still raised another round. And so, what's your what? What did I miss? And what's your reaction? Yeah. To this? So the takeaway here is twofold. The first is we actually talked about this a few weeks, uh, a, a week or two ago. We said that you can raise a fair amount of money and pretty much lie, and most people will not check in on you, right? Yeah. Exhibit- we said we said the following. I'm surprised more people ain't lying because it would be so easy and quite lucrative to do so yeah. when it comes to the thing. And we said, most people, us included, don't do a ton of diligence. And even if you do, it's very easy to get away with the basic diligence. And we're nobodies, uh, right? We're-, and we're, we're nobodies. And then you take these larger funds, larger names, and- uh, They still don't do it. They all got duped too. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, so there is a- Systemic problem in a way. It's a feature and a, and a problem. The feature is this industry runs on trust. 
And the reason you you and I can do deals on a handshake is because we trust each other and we and there's a lot of founders out there who are the majority of people are not trying are not uh, duplicitous or or lying or committing fraud. And so that's why Silicon Valley can move at a fast pace because we don't have to take three to six months to diligence every single deal we do. That's why we can move at a fast pace. But the flip side of that is it does create an opportunity for fraudsters to 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 lie, and which doesn't happen saying. often. But so basically, I believe the founder's name is Carlos Watson, and Carlos Watson yeah. is a very charismatic guy. I think he was a host or had a TV show or something like that on both PBS and CNN, if I remember correctly. They started about a year or two before us, and I remember I recruited people from there. Or and I had one woman who worked there who worked for us, and and I would ask them about it. Uh, ask her about them. And basically, they caught my eye because I would use similar web and I would notice that they had very little traffic. And if you go to on their website now, the hustle probably actually gets more traffic than they do. And we don't I, even... I compared. You guys have about 10% more traffic according to that than them. Yeah, we don't even try to get traffic. Like we don't like... that's right. not our, our business is not web traffic, but their business is web traffic. Ozzy. Additionally, their website is horrible. Like it's one of these sites that looks pretty, but you go to and you're like, how the hell do you work this thing? And like, right. it's like impossible to figure out what they're like. As a marketer and entrepreneur, I can go to a website and I can look at it and be like, oh, the goal is to drive me to this thing. When I see their thing, I'm like, what are they trying to get me to do? And right. so I've always had a red flag about this company because they claimed these huge valuations. They claimed these this huge reach. And I don't know anyone who consumed it. I When I was in New York, I used to see... Um, buses with their logos on it and they're buying all these ads and media companies don't buy ads media companies sell ads and you're not buying a bus ad of, of right. all ads and so i used <laughs> to see this and i knew that something weird was happening because they didn't make sense how they made money and they constantly had to raise money and so this was always full of shit to me um i'm a little surprised axel springer invested in it because they're pretty legit but i'm not surprised that steve jobs wife invested into it because she invests in a lot of nonprofit making stuff so i'm like well she just gives money to anyone um right. but yeah this company i think is nonsense they also claim that they have these huge festivals and i've never heard of anyone that went to the uh, one of their festivals so i have always thought that this company was full of it and now there's some proof yeah, yeah. Funny. I mean, it's crazy how this stuff goes down. And then you see people who are so there's one I think Mark Lazarus on the board and I think he was I think they released a statement like, "Oh, you know, we you know, a lapse in judgment. We 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 stand by this kind of temporary or momentary kind of like lapse in judgment. Uh, you know, they are making the right steps to correct this." Um, I don't even think the co-founders like got fired. I think he I think he's still there if I'm correct. Dude, it's a um, weird ass company, and they also claim that they're. You know where they they say they're based out of is Palo Alto, and like okay. you yeah. and I have lived here for, for 10, 15... Never, never heard of them. Never, never met a single employee. Yeah, never met anybody who reads them or shared an article from them. Uh, also, not where you would start a media company is Palo Alto. So you know, just strange all around. Yeah, so that's weird. Um, do you want, can I tell you about a, a, a? Can I can I do one real quick? Okay, so yeah, have, have, have I ever told you about? Um, uh, newspapers.com. You told me about this. And I remember going to it and be like, oh, I've never been to like, that sounds like a very common word. And I remember going to it and you said it was something cool, but, but say it again for, okay. for me because I don't remember in another. So I believe it was owned by Ancestry.com. And so Ancestry.com, it's a website where you can do two things. You can enter in your DNA or 
you can enter in your last name. Like you give them your DNA and they you know, do 23andMe shit and they tell you who you're related to. Or you okay. just do... Um, you enter in your name and you could track like, you know, if you came in through Ellis Island and like who your great-grandparents were based off of Civil War records and all this weird stuff. And they own... They bought this archive called newspapers.com and it scans every newspaper they could possibly get a hold of and you could search it. And I use it for research all the time. And if you scroll down on our doc, Sean, I actually gave you an example. So Dan Gilbert started this company called Quicken Loans. He owns the Cleveland Cavaliers. Is that what he owns? Yeah. And he's like a big shot in Detroit, whatever. And he, he seems like a nice guy. And I was curious about his background. And so I used newspapers.com to learn about his company. So Quicken right. Loans originally was called Rock Financial. And I sent you three examples of why newspapers.com is incredibly fascinating. The first, you can read profiles about people. So Quicken Loans went public, I think, in 1997. I found an article uh, from 1996, I think. And you could read that article. And it's a profile on Dan. And he'll explain... They'll say, Dan Gilbert's off office is really funny. He's got toys everywhere. And he'll say, right. well, my, you know, what I'm trying to do is build this fun workplace, you know, whatever. And so you see like firsthand knowledge as they are building about how their philosophy on business. And that's incredibly fascinating. And he'll also say like, yeah, you know, we started the business with $5,000 of savings and then we scaled to this much revenue. And so you could actually see in real time how they're describing the business and where they came from. The second thing that you can do, and I do this all the time, is I find their ads in classified newspapers where they list jobs. So I actually listed one of their uh, their job ads. So how would you do this? So let's say you, you're wanting to find this. Can you search like everywhere Rock Financial is mentioned? Or you had to literally go just, let me check this Sunday and check the job section and see if they're there. No. So what I did was I typed in Rock Financial. I typed in, show me all the newspapers within a radius of Detroit, because I knew that's where they're based out of. And then I said, uh, make it between 1995 and 1996. And, and then you pay for newspapers.com? This is a paid service? $10 a month. Um, right. And when I, and then I, I could see, it says, when you're searching, it says which newspaper it's from and which section of the newspaper and who the author is. So I can very quickly see if this is a profile, right. if this is like... Just Dan Gilbert giving a quote on the economy, or if this is a job ad. And I read the job ads. Job ads are actually amazing. So if you ever want to see what a company's launching, even today, you go to their website and you click jobs. And if you see like, oh wow, YouTube is hiring, or I don't know, I'm making this up. Apple is hiring people who have experience in cars. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. They're clearly like going into like so that's like a no-brainer. But it's cool to see. Uh and, and also on a lot of job uh boards. Or websites, they'll say, you know, we're Aussie Media. We reach 20 million people a month. We right. we cover this stuff, and so you see, like, it'll actually tell you a lot of uh, stats about the company. They have to, they have to, um, they have to sell themselves, right? If you're recruiting people, and by the way, super super sneaky move. Go interview at a competitor's company to find out their their data because during the interview process you'll find out a lot about the company's strategy, about their numbers, things like that, and that's one way to get competitive intel that I've I've heard some people do. Or you can recruit the people who are there, knowing that you're not going to hire them. That's another one. Well, that one is a little bit harder because you recruit somebody and you put them in a position. And some people get really. Uh, some people are like, oh yeah, like happy to share. Nothing, nothing that was confidential, but just you know. Here's my point of view on what I think they care about and what they're roughly the size of their of this of this part of their business. 
but then some people are like, I can't believe you're asking me to divulge information about my previous. Employer. Sure. Yeah. You have and to be respectful. Canceled. You got to go about it in a yeah. certain way. So anyway, newspapers.com, I use it to look at job ads and I can see like how they described their company back then and like what they were recruiting for. Sometimes you could see salary. And so it actually adds a lot of context around it. And then finally, I look at ads that they use to get customers. And so you could see like how they describe themselves, how they got customers. Uh, things like that. You can see if you look at job ads, you can see how they're structuring their business. It's actually an amazing tool. And so the difference is, is that when you read biographies, they'll tell you like a third person point of view on like right. analyzing it. When I do this, when I do it this way, I'm like, well, here's exactly how they describe themselves. And um, like, yeah, it's different because it's moment in time versus hindsight, right? Biography is always hindsight. Now that we've seen it all play out, we can connect the dots a, a, in this way. But when you just go back to the source material at that time, when it went to print, this is how it was seen in the moment, which is, which is really useful because like I've done this with tech companies. You can go read when Twitter launched on TechCrunch. It's a small blurb. Yeah. It's like, oh, this goofy thing called Twitter launch. It's kind of buzzy at this party, but it kind of has no point. I'm keeping an eye on it, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, pretty inconspicuous launch for something like as, that became as influential as Twitter. You can go see this for... You can go see their original landing pages and their original launch press and how they position themselves. You can go read original like launch announcements on Hacker News for Dropbox and other things. You can go see the, the five-minute video that Drew Houston put up demoing Dropbox and the comments of people being like, dude, no one needs this. And um, you know, here we are, you know, $20 billion and there's two, later. And for the modern stuff like a Dropbox and Twitter, there's two ways you do that. The first is when you search on Google, you, there's right underneath this, uh, the text bar, you go all the way to the right and you click search tools and you could change the date. So you change the date right. and so you make it... So if, let's say Twitter launched in 2009. You type in Twitter and you take out the E because that's how you knew, remember they spelled it. <laughs> and you do like year 2005 to 2010. I forget when they first launched. And you actually see it. Or you go to webarchive.com and or waybackmachine.com. I forget. Just Google one of those. And then you can actually right. see the early landing pages. So anyway, that's a cool hack that I wanted to show you about. Um, it's pretty amazing. By the way, this print ad, I just want to read, I just put it in my swipe file, but like this ad for them, they go, it says, everybody's talking mortgage first. And then there's a quote from a customer that says, we found out that the bank's pre-approval is just a piece of paper. With mortgage first, we got a firm commitment and locked in a low rate. There's no easier way to shop for home. Right? That's like the print ad headline. And it's just cool to see the copywriting of these, like these types of products. You know, it's not, the, it's not the sexiest type of product to send to, to sell as, you know, a mortgage. And that's but, exactly um, my point. Great job. So here's the point. When you're starting something, you say to yourself, I want to be like Quicken Loans or I want to be like, let's say you have a clothing company. I want to be like Louis Vuitton. I want to be like Gucci. And you have to... I want to be like Steve Jobs and Apple. And you have to remember that it's always on 9 out of 10 times. It's not glamorous early on. And so you can go and look at early Apple products and you're like, oh, wow, they're... They were shit just like I am. Like they were still trying to figure out. They weren't that great. And what they said then, like I can't connect. Like it's hard to imagine that this thing became this end thing, right? That this early ad or this early profile, like I never would have guessed that. Therefore, like, it kind of go to if you go to rocketmortgage.com now and it's like, you know, this diverse crew of like white, black, Asian people sitting on beautiful couches. And it says, Rocket Mortgage is the home loan experience designed for you. You're one of a kind. Your mortgage should be too. Start an application to see what's possible, right? Like a very different type of ad. And so if you wanted to be the next them, don't copy what they say now, now that they have yes, a ton of brand equity exactly. and that they have a sales force and all these other things. Go copy what they did at the beginning 
when they had zero brand awareness and they had to like explain what they do quickly to people in a more literal sense rather than these like kind of like fancy marketing brochures. Exactly. That's exactly my point. And so I think this is an incredibly helpful tool, both intellectually because you can get ideas, but also emotionally. And you could see that like, oh, wow, they weren't always like kick ass. They sucked like me. Right. Or, you know, they were only okay, or I never would have predicted that they ended where they start based off where they started. Right. Okay. I got, I got one for you. Can we switch? Yeah. You, I, which one are you going to do? You got a lot of really good ones. I'm going to give you my blue collar side hustle. Okay. So, great. Um, so this is, this is the blue collar side hustle segment for, for this week, which is basically a way you can make money, not a ton, but like thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, maybe a hundred thousand dollars um, with just a little bit of sweat and creativity. That's the blue collar side hustle. Okay, so what is it? So it's we're 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 about to start October, and this last quarter of the year is holiday season. It's the biggest shopping season of the year. People are ready to spend, and coming into the holidays, there's one little side hustle that I always thought was interesting, and I started looking into it, and it's this business of mall Santas. So have you ever like have you ever done this? You you don't have like a little kid, so you may not have ever done this, but like. Last two years, since my, my daughter was born, you know, come Christmas season, uh, Sonia always wants to like go to the, go to see the Santa and have us take a family photo with the Santa for like the memories with our, like baby sits in Santa's lap, take a photo. Dude, what hey. a, which is, when you think about it, fucking weird. That is, it's so weird. <laughs> like, and, why does like this young couple who like, if you're an immigrant or you're like, in your case, you're Indian, like just believe that. You got to get this picture with this fat old white dude. <laughs> Who, by the way, barely looks like Santa, right? So the one I'm going to. And also, kid cries 100% of the time, right? Because you put him in a stranger's, a stranger who looks like a monster's lap. Surrounded by like, dwarves. Sur- surrounded by dwarves and <laughs> other strangers looking at you. Yeah, and it's then weird. you're like, give me a smile. And they're like, nah, I'm crying here. So, um, okay. So this little business. So, so what is this? So let me just tell you how the current system works and then what, what you can do. So a mall Santa will make between 10 and $25,000 in about a five week sprint here. And all they do is they go, they, they buy the outfit for about $300 and then they get hired by these like photo companies. There's like this one company called Iconic that does this. Iconic, what they do is they pay, they hire all these mall Santas and they have 300 malls in America that they're partnered with. And then like a hundred, like babies are us. No and they'll way. Be like, hey, I need a, I need a Santa in Charleston. You're going to make, you know, you're going to make $20,000 over the next five, six they're weeks. They're like a model agency for fat white guys. Exactly. So then they send you, they dispatch you. You just go sit there on a chair for like six hours straight and a kid gets in your lap. You say, oh, ho, ho, what do you want for Christmas? Take a picture. See you later. And you just do that. It takes zero oh, what, skill. What do they right? use them for the rest of the year? It's like a diabetes commercial. Like, what are you going to do with these guys? <laughs> so, so let me tell you. So, okay. So, so that's the first part. So then, uh, so they have about 6,000 uh, Santas that they hire just themselves. They showed that they get into the malls and get prime real estate because they showed the malls that having a Santa there will drive about a million in incremental revenue because you get increased foot traffic into the mall because families like us come to the mall to get the photo done with the Santa. And you're paying like 50 bucks per photo and you're doing a photo, you know, every, I don't know, minute. And so like you can just add up the cost per hour that are the sort of the revenue per hour that iconic or the, the person hosting this is doing. So I thought this was kind of cool. Then I was like, where do these people come from? 
And basically, there's then a spinoff cottage industry of Santa training and Santa out costume like oh my businesses. God. So there's like Santa costume businesses, little e-commerce pop-ups, like you know Halloween pop-ups, where it's just selling a certain part of the year. And it's the boots and the glasses and the beards and the hats and the robes and all that good stuff. So you'll end up spending hundreds of dollars just to, to have one of these outfits. Uh, I, I own one of these outfits because we wanted our at-home photos to also have me in the Santa outfit. So, you know, brown Santa sitting next to the tree. I have a bunch of photos like that from last year. Dude, your wife is, is amazing. This she's is all her an idea. Instagram, she's like an Instagram mom, basically, without the followers. So we, all of the work of being an Instagram mom without any of the uh, influencer money that we get, we should be getting out of it. So, um, so, so, so she does. She really cares about photos, and so like she wants her memories and she wants cute photos. So I have to do all this bullshit. So okay. So then what happens? So there's these schools that will charge you up to a thousand dollars for Santa training. And what does that mean? It's like tells you what to say, tells you how to groom your beard and your hair to look like Nick, and then uh, helps you get a job as a as a Santa somewhere. So that's like a whole little cottage industry. Now, what do I think you could do with this? So I think this can be done in a whole bunch of different ways. So I think you could kind of independently do this in your neighborhood. So we've talked about like, how do you do door to door in neighborhoods? So I think you could go door to door in any neighborhood and say, hey, tomorrow, Santa's going to be here. If you want a Christmas photo... Just come to the front of the neighborhood, buy that tree. Dude, you're like mixing up a throne. Th- this is like a pedophile's dream. Like Santa meets ice cream man. <laughs> this is weird. The, the par- this is it's not weird. just a kid that goes. The parents go with you to the thing. It's incredibly safe. Safer than a lemonade stand, my friend. So this is the lemonade stand we do in the winter, which is you do a pop-up Santa photo, photo thing. And if you were going door to door, you could go door to door dressed as the elves saying that Santa's coming. All right. So that's, that's one way of, of doing this. The other is you could partner with really any place that has foot traffic. So whether it's a mall or it's kind of like an outdoor eating area, it's a farmer's market, it's, um, you know, like you just need to find foot traffic. And if you plop yourself down, my estimate is that you're going to be able to make $50 per minute doing this thing. Uh, that might be a little high. Let's just say $30 per minute because people don't always opt for the big photo pack. So $30 yeah, a minute. At an hourly rate, bro. Okay. So hourly, that's $1,800 an hour. And you're going to be there for, let's say, six hours. That's 10 grand a day you can print doing this thing. And all, all your costs are, you know, Pat Santa for, uh, you know, hopefully that's somebody that's you or somebody you know that you can get to do it. You buy the out for $400, another $1,000 of, of props and decorations and the chair and all that stuff. The photographer might cost you, let's call it $1,000 for the day. And, um, and, and so that's your that's sort of your cost structure going into this. I think the rest of it is pretty much free because who's going to really kick out Santa? Who uh, who's iconic? Iconic is the company that does like kind of yeah. like photo experiences and stuff like that. Are they big? I think they're big because this isn't their main business. Um, so I think this is like you know part of their business. If someone okay, so I agree with you that someone could pull this off. I would be. Am- I'm just saying, you want to make 20 grand for the holiday season? That's nice. A lot of people want 20 grand. I would be amazed if someone is willing. You got to have so much courage in order to pull something like that off. That scares me. This scares me. What, why? What scares you about this? So it's kind of like whenever I think of business ideas, I'm like, anything that involves eating something, I'm like, ugh. That's a that's a you got like it's like a big burden, right? It's like a big burden. Uh, if you like, if your product is going to be eaten. 
Oh, you mean selling something other people are going to eat? Yeah. I'm like, well, you can't bullshit that, right? You got to like, you got to nail that right away. And then like a tear down, I'm like, well, anything involving children, I'm like, oh my God, like you got to nail that too. You can't have anything weird going on. Dude, there's no risk here. It's literally a Santa with the parents standing right there next to you and you sit on their knee for one second and take a photo. It's so low, low risk. It's not like a daycare or something like that. Daycare is up there too. I mean, this is. I, I would be. I would be very curious if anyone's going to pull this off. This isn't like you're just going to the street and like break dancing. Like you're going into the street and like having a kid sit on your knee. I just think that. Uh, Dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this for the uh, for my for, for you know we were talking about for our YouTube channel doing some uh, some little business stunts. I'm gonna do this as one of them this holiday season. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna hire a Santa. I'm gonna find a foot traffic area and I'm gonna make like ten grand in a day. No way. There's channel. no way you're gonna be able to pull this off. I bet you five hundred dollars. There, five hundred dollars. <laughs> okay, what part are you are you doubting? Okay, maybe the ten grand a day is the ambitious part. No, okay. maybe I, it's five. Okay, I'll be very curious to see if you could pull this off. This would be amazing. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think all the risk is? There's no risk. I don't think there's that much risk. I just think there's a huge amount of fear that I have about doing this. Invo- anything involving <laughs> the risk kids. is Sean gets lazy and doesn't decides not to do it. That's the only risk. That's the only thing preventing me from successfully doing this. Well, let's see. I, Dude, if I, I was you, if I was white, I would even I would be saving myself the the thousand dollars I'm gonna have to pay some Santa here to do this because nobody I, I, I nobody wants me to be the Santa. So you know I'm already working from a disadvantage. Dude, are there ever black Santas? That is kind of interesting. We got we got like what, <laughs> there, are there ever? I've never seen a non-white Santa at a mall. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure there is, but. Uh, yeah, maybe that's the underserved market that I need to go for. I think people want the classics. I think with holidays, people throw all the equality out the window and they want the classics. Wait, my, do you do you celebrate? What religion are you? Are you anything? <laughs> I'm not religious, but I do celebrate fun days like Christmas. That, yeah, I didn't. But you're not, I know you're not religious, like in terms of like a god, but like a culture. Like you know, I'm Catholic. I was raised Catholic. But do you, right. do you do anything? Oh, no, I celebrate all the fun holidays. If you any, you know, oh, Dia de los Muertos sounds great. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm Hispanic for the day. Well, let's do that. Like, I'm any, any, any culture has a fun holiday. I'll, I'll play. Why not? I'm looking That's for awesome. more days to celebrate. Yeah, we got a, uh, yeah, once I started like meeting my Jewish friends, I, I started celebrating Shabbat. So, uh, we could pick some yeah, more holidays. Shabbat's to great, dude. I love Shabbat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, give me some more Shabbat. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. What do you want to do this royalty-free music one? I think this is amazing. Yeah, okay. So here's the idea. So I saw this on Product Hunt. I kind of forgot the name, but there was basically a product that launched yesterday or today, and it's a AI-generated royalty-free music. Okay, so for anybody who's ever had to make a commercial or like create a video or you're an agency or a freelancer, uh, the you, music makes your video like 10 times better, but it sucks to have all the music you know is copyright protected. So you'll put it up on YouTube, it'll get muted or taken down or DMCA noticed. And if you want to use it to sell products or promote your company, uh, you really can't do it. It's illegal if you use copyright music because you don't have the permissions. And so you, there's this whole like genre of royalty-free music out there. And there's all these big um, websites like Pond5 that exist that will give you royalty free, you know, either stock footage, stock photos, or stock music. And this whole like stock industry is pretty big. And so, what I thought was cool here is take a business like Pond5. Uh, so, I don't know if you've ever used Pond5. Do, no. do you know Pond5? Or, no, no, uh, no, no, dude, no, no. I've no, used it so many times in my life. It's great. It's like 
the best place to go if you want like uh, stock music for for a thing. Is it free? And so, how does it work? No, you pay. You end up buying the, the 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 music you like. Like while you're listening to the sample, it'll be like the really good music, and it'll be like Pond Five in the background, like just like as, as a watermark, like every two seconds, so that you can't steal the thing. You have uh. to buy. So here's how I know this company crushes. They raised one round of funding in 2014. It was a 60 million dollar round, which means they already had a bunch of traction before then. Since 2014, they haven't reported any other raising of money, and I know they're still going super strong. So that's like, you can sniff that and be like, what's the opposite of Aussie media? It's this. It's a company that raises one mega round, doesn't raise again for the next seven years, probably means it's super profitable, just well, spitting they, off they, cash. They, and they probably sold, when, who they raised $61 million from, they probably like, it was probably, they just sold exactly. a bunch of their shares. Yeah, it's probably to get some liquidity because I think they started in 2005 or 2008 or something like that. So it was like many years into the business that they did around Nerd Wallet, same thing, right? They started, they ended up raising $100 million, never touched the $100 million. Like their bank account's never been less than $100 million since then. It's like these are companies that are lean, mean, and just super profitable. We should and talk so, about Nerd Wallet. Do you have Intel on Nerd Wallet? Uh, I, you probably have more. You're buddies with the guy. So I don't have much. But it's, we should uh, have him on. I, I was talking to uh, his his partner, and he was saying that he was saying, "Oh yeah, you should have him on." And I thought that was a good idea. Well, he uh, um, I heard they were considering going public or something like that, and so he couldn't talk too much. But if I don't know if that's the case anymore or not, but we, uh, we you know when you're about to go public, you can't say too much, and so it's hard to get. They're not good interviews. Well, I can tell one uh, anecdote I heard, which is just on how they kind of got started, how they made it work. So. Early on with NerdWallet, Nerd, what NerdWallet does is it's a blog for like kind of like personal finance. So it just kind of gives you information you need to know about, about managing your own finances. And their moneymaker is that they rank really high for credit card suggestions. So if you say, what credit card should I get? NerdWallet's like at the top of the list. And then they'll break down in a pretty objective way. Here's you know the best credit cards, depending on your goals, depending on who you are. Pick this one. It's Pick basically nerdwallet.com slash best dash credit dash card. That page, yeah. I think that page likely makes like 80% of the revenue and the entire company exists to make sure that page shows up number one on Google when you search best credit card. Right. Exactly. And I think when we say 80% of the revenue, I don't know the revenue. If I was guessing, I would guess that the revenue is $100 million or more, plus or minus 50%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Definitely so, not minus 50%. Okay. So maybe plus 50%. So, so that's pretty impressive, right? Because when, when somebody clicks that link to go buy it, they, they get an affiliate uh, kickback. And so they'll get, I don't know what it is, like $2,000. It's like very lucrative to refer a credit card, $2,500, something like that for a credit card referral. So they make a lot per customer that, that hits that page. So early on, all the, so because that incentive is so big, every website in the early web, web days was just like, Who's going to give me the highest kickback? Fantastic. You are my, my, recommended, my recommended card. And so it was kind of like, it was an objective, right? They were just, they were, they were in the pocket of the credit card companies and they were just printing, you know, shitty content to try to get you to click that link um, to, to go through with it. So which is, which is how like uh, Red Ventures started. Red Ventures is a company that makes north of a billion dollars a year. They basically started doing that with both credit cards and Dish TV. Right, right. Yeah, satellite TV. And so so with these like high high margin, high subscription products, you know, they'll pay a lot for affiliate. So what NerdWallet was doing was they were just two dudes sitting in their room 
And they would just write blogs, like high quality blogs. They're like, we're going to write higher quality stuff because these other ones are just kind of content farms trying to generate clicks. And year after year, they were just like writing these things and it really wasn't going very far. And it was like, not that impressive. Now you tell me if I'm wrong on any of this. Uh, it wasn't really, it wasn't taking off. It, um, it took they uh, just, two, basically in the first two years, they, there was, I don't think there was a month where they got more than a thousand people visiting their website. And if you Google right. NerdWallet HustleCon, you'll see a talk where he shows their traffic. Like it was like, you know, it was a shitty, so it was horrible. That yeah. it was multiple years of staying the course, even when the evidence all said this doesn't work because they trusted their gut and their belief system that if we put the highest content out, highest quality content out there, eventually we will get the traffic. And if we build it, they will come. And it actually worked, right? So like, you know, there is a counterpoint to every, uh, every piece of advice. I would, if there was, if they were a startup doing this right now, I'd be like, guys, two years, no traffic, less than 10 grand a month you're making. You, how long have you been in this apartment? When's the last time you left this building? Uh, guys, like, look at this company. They're just shilling out shitty content and getting way more traffic and paying for it and just trying to arbitrage. Like, do that. That's going to work. That's working. So, like, do that. So, my advice would have been horrible here because this was a tortoise in the hare startup story that actually worked. And so, finally, there's a Google update. Uh, Google updates a search engine and it punishes the low quality blogs that were out there and NerdWallet jumps in the rankings. And so all of a sudden they, they go from making, you know, $0 a day to like seven grand a day of revenue. And that's from the, the traffic that's coming here. And then a few months later, there's another update and it goes to like 70 grand a day. And, uh, and they sort of never look back. They've always been kind of like near the top or at the top for, for this kind of thing, uh, since then. So that, that I thought was pretty remarkable. And, you know, I, I could have had that same idea. I would have never stuck to it. Uh, the way that those guys did, and they deserve every dollar they make off this. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty monster company. Um, what, but what about Pond Five? Okay, so uh, back to Pond Five. So Pond Five, my research tells you this is quite a big company. They, at one point, they reported sixty million a year in revenue. That was like ten years ago. So wait, I'm really? Pretty sure that yeah. So I'm pretty sure that they're doing a hundred million dollars or north of a hundred million dollars off this. Most stock websites will do you know hundred million dollar plus, but they get consolidated. So like, you know, iStock Photo and all those things, they all get owned by the same company. So anyways, what's the idea here? Well, Pond5, they, they have their value because they have a big library so that when you're searching for upbeat, energetic music for my commercial, that's 60 seconds long, that doesn't sound cheesy, I got to find that, that, that thing on your website. And so how do they get this library? Well, they don't make it themselves. They let any creator, just like a stock photo site, you upload your content. And then if someone buys your thing, you get a rev share. You get 50% rev share. Well, here's the cool thing about what's happened. Like, there's been a change where AI has gotten a lot better. And you can auto-generate music now. And so what this product was doing was you put your video in and it knows, okay, your video is one minute and 23 seconds long. So that's how much music you need. And it can even look at, in, you know, in the future, it can even look at, you can mark maybe key markers on your video. You say... This is where the, the the climax happens, or where my product reveal happens. Like I need a beat to like I need a, I need an uptick here, right? And then it will auto generate an infinite number of music uh, amount of music for that that's custom fitted to your video track. And you can just say I want it to be playful, I want it to be energetic, I want it to be serious, I want it to be foreboding, I want it to be mysterious, and um and then you just hit generate, it'll give you one. You say next, 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 just like Tinder, you can swipe through, uh. and they're going to keep one hundred percent of the revenue. So whatever 
whoever does this, I think they're going to have the biggest library pretty much from day 10 because their neural net will have generated such a vast amount of stock footage or stock, stock music or stock photos. So I think they're going to crush the existing stock, stock sites because they're going to have 100 times more content. And then they're going to crush it in terms of economics because they're not going to have to share any of it with any content creator. And they're going to keep 100% of it. So I would love to invest in one of these companies that's doing this, that's got the right marketing mojo to get this out there because the fundamentals tell me that however big iStock Photo and those guys are, the AI version of it is going to be you know maybe four or five times bigger. And those today are like multi-billion dollar companies. I'd imagine though, the key to this business is not the AI generated music part. I would imagine the difficult part here is getting customers because the um, stock photos and stock video and stock music in terms of search traffic, it's impossibly challenging. Like it's it's like, I bet you it's almost as hard as uh, credit cards, like best credit card. So that would be the hard part is how to get customers. You know, a business is basically like three things. It's like convincing people to work, or I guess it's four things, convincing people to work there, convincing someone to give you money or figuring out how to get capital to do it, making the product and then getting the sale. This one falls into that fourth bucket where that's the hard part I would imagine is getting people to go to your website consistently for at least yeah, cheap I, enough. I would simplify it. I think, I think businesses get customers. Uh, charge them enough where you get to keep some pro- some profit and keep customers, right? So you got to do those three things. Yes. And get customers is usually the hardest one. Um, and it's the hardest one in this case. So so th- that's why I said the founders that have the right marketing mojo, that was the key part of what I said, because you have to have a, tr- a way that you're going to like get traffic for this. And over time, I think they will outcompete their the old school alternatives because they're outdated now. So here's my, and my, my other because that, that 50%... That goes to creators. You could maybe spend on acquiring customers. Exactly, and um, and you could give away a lot of the content for free initially, right? Because of that. So here's my hack for for this. This is also a hustle. This is maybe my big co side hustle. This is you're a PM at Google or you're a product manager at DuckDuckGo and you're a search engine. Well, the search engines have one way that they cheat, which is. When you search for something, they can just give you their result as the top result always, right? That's like Google with their one box thing. If you just say, hey, what's the best holiday? They, they surface the best results in a box. So you don't even need to click and go to a website. Or if you go to Google Images and you search for icon of this or stock photo or royalty free, whatever, they could just serve you the Google results for this. And they have all the AI talent in the world to do this. And this could become a product line that generates, you know, nine figures a year. For these companies. So if you want to, you know, if you're inside one of these big companies, that's another pitch you can make to your boss that says, Hey boss, how does this sound? We use our AI talent on something that we're already getting millions of searches for a year and it will generate, you know, hundred million dollars plus in revenue within three years. Can I work on that project? And then the answer will be, uh, yes. And why haven't I promoted you already? Dude, I went, so I've got two stories. I went to a conference and I met this woman who, was she was part of the crew that managed this so basically Google makes 95% of the revenue from one thing but they're constantly trying to launch all this other stuff so they've probably done stuff that you don't even know exists um but and they'll like buy stuff and try to run it and make it bigger like and it, one example is Zagat you remember Zagat 
yeah, the restaurant reviews, is that right? Yeah, Google owned it. A lot of people didn't don't even know that, but Google owned it. And I talked to this woman whose job it was to help manage the CEOs of the projects and decide what's interesting and what's not. And she told me that they have some products that would scale to a hundred million in revenue in only a couple of years. And they would kill it. And I was like, why'd you kill it? And they go, well, two reasons. One, the people who we get to run them, they're oftentimes paid so much money that they don't give a shit. Like, if you're just like running your own startup, you're like, this has to work because this is where 95% of my net worth is. Like, I would be screwed. Whereas the people who work at Google, they're like, dude, I make so much money each year. I don't really want this to succeed that much. I'll have to work more and still get paid some. And so she told me that. And second, they're like, Google is so big that even though a product makes a hundred million plus in revenue over the course of a few years, which could be worth a couple billion dollars, it's just not worth it to us. We just have so much better ways to spend our time. And I was flabbergasted. And I knew this other woman who ran this one thing that was doing over a hundred million in revenue and they killed it because they're like, this just isn't big or interesting enough. And it's just, it's pretty wild to think about that. Yeah, it's insane. Actually, I did this when we got acquired by Twitch. I had in one of the meetings I had with Emmett, I was, uh, who's the CEO, I was talking about like, oh, yeah, if we like this could actually make this much. And uh, I noticed he didn't like react in any way. Like when I say something that I think you're going to get excited about, you don't get excited. I'm like, hey, I thought you would. I thought that would like register for you. It looks like it didn't. Tell me why that didn't. Um, And he was just like, he's basically like, look, we make this much revenue over here. So to move the needle on revenue, you have to be like the size of the price has to be X. And like trying to make revenue brings in all this like legal complexity, business ops complexity, and like potentially stands in the way of user growth. And so like we either want something that hits this threshold on revenue or make it free and just optimize for user growth. And I was like, oh, okay. So like not interested in like, you know, this kind of like eight figures plus, you know, uh, of, of revenue a year. It's like, no. Um, and I was like, good to know. And I, I didn't take it as, I was like, thank you for teaching me that because yeah, that makes sense. My startup brain was wired where that's a big number. But now that I'm at a big company, I need to like rewire it as a small number. Dude, when we sold to HubSpot, we went, we sold in, uh, I forget, like mid to late January. And so we went into the year 2021 with many, many millions of dollars of advertising revenue booked and contracts signed and everything. And this year, we, we, you know, we would have made many eight figures in revenue. And when they sold, when we sold, they go, um, look, we make this much money. I think what's HubSpot make a year? Like 1.2 billion a year in revenue and it's growing quick. They're like, your little $20 million, it doesn't really matter to us. We'd rather you not focus on that. So right. we gave all the money back. Like we yeah. had, we had Incredible. to call them and we had to be like, Hey, uh, this company, I know that you booked like $500,000 in advertising. Sorry, we can't do it anymore. And right. we gave it back. And it, I was heartbroken. I was like, Oh, you're killing me. And they just didn't. And, and they're right. I mean, it's smart, but it was crazy to think about that. Dude, uh, okay. I want you to just don't type. Hands up. Hands in the air. Guess Google's revenue last quarter. I would imagine that they do. Uh, I don't know. Thirty, forty billion dollars a year. Okay, thirty, forty billion dollars a year. So let's divide by four, and let's just say round number ten, ten billion dollars a quarter. Good guess. That's actually what I would have guessed. They did sixty-one billion dollars last quarter. So four times that is what? Twenty-four, two hundred forty. We don't do public math. Yes, dude. What? 
That's how I, much- <laughs> unless I'm looking at something that's wrong, but uh, I'm looking on Statista right now. It's it came up in my in the first Google search, and I was like, no, that can't be right. That's annual, not quarterly. And then I looked at another place and it says it's second quarter revenue of 2021 was 61 billion dollars. Okay, now how long have you felt like Google's a juggernaut, like an absolute juggernaut that's already like peaked? It's already like at the peak of its powers since the beginning how many of the years internet. Ago, yeah. How many years ago did you feel that way? Like, let's just say, like, at what point in time, if I was like, hey, Google's revenue is already like, you know, just absolutely monstrous, not too much upside left. Like five years ago, would you have said that? Uh, yeah. So like in 2015, which was six years ago now, if you told me just to like invest all my money into Google, I'd be like, why would you, why would you, why would you ever want something that's already so big? It's not going to grow that much. Yeah. So since that date, so that same quarter in 20, 2015, uh, this quarter was three and a half times revenue, times more revenue. So it went from 17 billion to 61 billion. In that five year span, when I think of that, so there's like, I used to be all about Facebook. I actually think that if you told me this could be like crazy wrong in 10 years, if Facebook and Google are not like, I, I think they'll exist, but if they're not like the big shots, I actually, I'll be surprised if they're still the big shots. Would you agree? So that could mean many things. Is it like there's the big shot, like Microsoft? is still a big shot, but, and it was always a big shot, but like Facebook and Google kind of like took all their shine for like a decade plus, um, you know, as Microsoft was either flat or kind of declining, but it was still big, but it didn't have the talent. It wasn't growing as fast. Stock's not appreciating as fast. So is it that where it kind of stagnates or you're like, it's actually going to go down? I think it's going to go down. And here's why. Have you ever met anyone that worked at Google or Facebook? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Like they currently work there? Yes. I think that Google... So Google is interesting. Point one is that it kind of succeeds in spite of itself. They basically invented this one thing that hasn't changed that significantly. And it's always been amazing. Okay? So they kind of have that going, which is good. But the second thing that they have is that people, I don't think, particularly like working there. Like, it's not cool. I think to say you work at Google is like five years ago saying you worked at Goldman. It's not really that particularly interesting. And I also think that the people who work there, unlike Goldman, whereas Goldman will explicitly say, we're going to work your fucking, we're going to work you down to the bone. You're going to grind. And most of you aren't going to work here in five years. Google's the opposite. They say, we care about you. We do this, we do that. Right. And yeah, because- can I fold your laundry? Can I, do, would you like a foot massage while you, t- while you program you know, yes. this code right now? And because they do that, they create entitled babies who protest and get angry uh, when anything bad happens. For example, I think last year there was this big event and I don't actually know what happened. I don't know the reason. It could have been justified. Who knows? But they had a walkout. So a lot of the employees just like walked out for the day. And uh, when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is like the beginning of the end. Because if you think about Google, do they do things that maybe you could describe as evil or you don't agree with? Definitely, yes. But as an employee, are they overwhelmingly like a soft place to work that you get paid significant amounts of money, barely have to show up, and they pretty much are like, oh, yes, honey, like, do you need anything? Of course right. they are. And if people are willing to protest that and walk out, then they're soft and they're going to they're die soon. That's why I think that. <laughs> they're going to die soon. Damn. <laughs> Rant's gone wrong. There's like um, a there's like a phrase. What's it? It's uh uh hard time uh hard times no difficult times yeah. make strong men, strong men make easy times, easy times make soft men. 
That, and that's yeah. like what's going on right now at Google. So that's why I wouldn't be surprised if they don't exist. I, I had a friend who worked at Facebook and they would send me, there's an internal uh, Facebook group for employees. And it's basically just a bitch session where they just vent and bitch about everything that's happening inside the company. And he would send me screenshots of what the topic would be. And it'd be like the most petty, trivial, like, hey, I noticed that the orange juice has moved in the cafeteria. Like, you know, I like to eat salads. And when it was by the salad bar, it just really complimented my healthy lifestyle. And now that it's over by the meat, I feel like I've been vegan for two years. And now that it's by the meat, it's like a microaggression against my vegan. It's like, dude, they, these people were complaining about the dumbest stuff. And they would have hundreds and hundreds of comments, which means just hours wasted fighting in the Facebook comments amongst Facebook employees. And it was everything from the parking garage layout to the milk choices to the the wording and the email that was sent out to Dude, like, listen to this. the softest of the soft. So for the longest time, and I think he still does it, but when my wife worked there, he was definitely doing it. Zuck and Cheryl Sandberg, but I think for sure Zuck, or definitely for sure Zuck, it was either every Friday or one Friday a month. I, I forget. Zuck would do an all hands and you could show up in person and you could ask him a question. And it was mostly empty. Like, you know, Facebook at the time had 15,000 employees and like 100 people would be there. And to me, that's crazy, right? That's like, imagine like going back uh, years and years and like you get to ask Andrew Carnegie or John Rockefeller like any question or Henry Ford like any question. Like, right. that's it's like pretty amazing. I'd be there every Friday. And I used to tell my wife, I'm like, man, if you, you keep asking interesting questions, he's going to get to know you. And he's going to be like, you know, Sarah, that's a great idea. Come and talk to me. I was like, right. you got to just be there every time. And one time, I heard this story about this person. He raised his hand and uh, they're like, uh, yeah, what, what's your question? And he goes, look, we have a huge problem at Facebook. Um, we don't have tampons in the men's restroom. And it's like discriminatory. <laughs> and Zuck was like, he said, like, is this really what you want to spend your time discussing? Or can we discuss this after? And they're like, look, we have to talk about it. And he's like, all right, head of HR, or head of, please come up here yeah, come and, on up. <laughs> and like address this. And uh, I swear I heard the story of that someone asked that during the, their time with Zuck. <laughs> is that crazy? I feel, like, I feel like we should end on this. <laughs> Just like imagine, it's like... Just is that Just really like five what minutes of silence for like where everything's at in the world? Just it's like, is that really what you one. want to spend your time having I, a conversation about? X Google is a better look than current Google employee. Totally, <laughs> isn't that amazing? It's a such a stronger signal that you're X Google than current Google. I completely agree. Do you agree with me? <laughs> do you think that they're going to go down? No, I think they're kind of juggernauts, but I do think like. Every they become less and less relevant over time. I think they've. I think Facebook particularly has done an amazing job fighting off irrelevancy, um, like tooth and nail. I think Zuck knows, and therefore, like, is he goes to war for it. But they just have all the. There's the natural like father time is undefeated or whatever. Like basically, over time, there's a natural decline, and then there's a talent drop off for people that are going to go work there versus go work at new, exciting, high upside things. And then there's the like. Um, you know, like anti big tech company backlash. Where now, if there's a t if there's a new social network that takes off, like Instagram did, or like um, WhatsApp was doing, Facebook can't buy it anymore. So the next one that takes off, Facebook can't buy, and uh, it, that will because of antitrust. And so they're just going to lose their stranglehold because that was their previous way of like extending their lifespan was to acquire the next best social thing and bring it into bring it in house. 
So that's gone for all the tech companies. They can't do that anymore. I typically hate discussing big company shit like Google and Facebook. I find it to be incredibly boring. And I'm like, who the fuck cares? Like, this doesn't actually impact me at all. And I think that takes place or that exists for a lot of our listeners. So I'll be very curious to hear if they even remotely cared about this discussion. Uh, so <laughs> let, let's see. Let's see what they have to say. Yeah, tweet at us. Um, all right. I'm out of here. We're done.